Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're about to start the uh, final afternoon session of Gold Standard University Live uh, here in Canberra. And um, how we're going to do it, we have, to, of course, uh, we're going to still have the two sessions, but the fir this the first one's going to be led off by uh, Tom Zabo. And uh, I'll let uh, the professor say something where we're headed. Yes. Before we start this first session, I would like to take this opportunity to express my public thanks to people who, without whose help and assistance, this couldn't have come about, this particular conference, which uh, you you're, which is honored with your attendance. Above all, I would like to thank Daryl and Martha Schoon for creating the website professorfekete.com. This website has turned out to be very important and very significant because this is my way of communication, communicating with, with the world, which is, which is very impressive. Uh, and I'm, I must admit, the, uh, this conference was very, very encouraging for me. The attendance from far and wide, people came and people expressed their appreciation is very heartwarming. So I want to thank them for the website and f for other assistant also. I would like to extend my heartfelt thanks to the local organizers, Philip Barton and Marcus Matthew. They have been extremely helpful and they were thinking about uh, uh, problems which could arise which I never uh, <laughs> thought about and we have enjoyed our stay here in Canberra uh, very much indeed and as I say without their assistance this wouldn't have been possible. I also want to express my thanks to uh, Tom Sabo, to uh, Nathan Russes and to uh, all the others who with their comments and uh, statements uh, and in the case of Tom and Nathan with their ex ex longer exposition for which they had to prepare they also have to raise the level of, of this particular conference so this is and I also want to thank all of you for your coming and I hope you got uh, something out of it. I can assure you that I did. It's a give and take. It's an interactive seminar. I have uh, learned a great deal from various comments and uh, I'm very grateful for that. So with that I let the conference... The, the show go on. <laughs> Alright, All right, Tom. Okay. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit because uh, when I did the uh, uh, explanation yesterday, I think it was the uh, how to calculate the basis. I made actually, I'm not sure it's a mistake, but maybe it was uh, yeah, sorry, a subconscious sort of a error, maybe. Uh, and I've done this now three times, and every time I seem to make a small little uh, uh, failure to exactly 
do the calculation correctly, and maybe it's because, I don't know, I want to test you guys to see if you could, you know. <laughs> came back to me the next day and said, hey, wait a second, this, he was this, wrong. this, this, this calculation doesn't come out to say what you said it does. And we did have some first, one person here, Osman, um, who actually came back to that. Uh, okay. Well, no, to do the annualization, you actually have to do something slightly different. And actually, um, that made me think that, that there's uh, something even beyond that. So what I want to do, if, if you let me, is sort of try to redo this calculation pretty quickly here. But I've actually now done the smart thing, which is used Excel <laughs> to do the calculations. So I merely need to write the numbers down and not have to be up here, you know, trying to do miraculous calculations. So, we had the December 2008, 710. Whoop. See, I've already got that wrong. That's right. Okay. The spot. 700. So we had a $10 a contango. <clears throat> then at the time, I think they, we said the expiration was for this was December 1. The date here was November 13th. So 18 days of difference. So we want to get a daily rate. Okay, the $10 is sort of a rate for 18 days. Get a daily rate. We have to divide the 10 by 18. And that number, I think someone got that right. They even said 0.555. I think it was you, and I didn't believe that. It's That would have been strange, right? And then that's a daily rate. Right? Now we come up with an annual rate times 365. An annual rate, and that is actually 202.78. Okay. So in one year, at this same rate, the difference between the spot and the future one year away would be $202 different. Okay. That's dollars. This is dollars, right. These are all dollars. It's all dollars. I'm sorry, this is all, yeah, in fact, it's all dollars except the days right here. Okay, so it's 202.78. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, to, to, to come up with what this would represent as interest, you divide it back into your actual price. Okay. But, but the important thing is, is, is that is that actually makes difference that you want to divide it into your cash or spot price. I don't know what, why that's the case, but when this thing gets extreme, um, that seems to be the better way to do it. I haven't spent enough time to figure it out, but I'm sure maybe someone can even right now figure that out. But uh, anyway, so you take 202 divided by 700, and then you would come up with annualized. Okay, come on. 28%. Oh. 28.97. 29%. Rounding it. Round it down, huh? So 28.97%. So that would be essentially your 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 uh, contango in this case. Obviously it's too big because I just took some assumed prices, but and this is a number that I've said is you know tends to be around this four, three, four, five percent maybe. Okay. Um, so with this now, are there any questions? A day later, two days later. That's, that's uh, just just a comment. But that's very very rough because that ignores, for example, you know how frequently interest would compound. As an annual rate, you get there, but that assumes annual compounding rather than daily compounding. 
So. Yes, but I'm going to calculate this rate every single day. Yeah, but you. So I'm going to make. I'm going to use you a end consistent. Up every single day with effectively an annual rate that is based on a very um, simplistic uh, calculation. This is how it's done. I, I can't, you know. <laughs> if you calculate the forward rate, then you get LBMA. This is the way it's done. Um, but I, I would, I, you know, I would say that yes, if you're doing this as a monthly or through two months or three months, and using comparisons, you will probably see this compounding, you know, play into it. But since I'm simply using it on a relatively consistent basis here, I'm not taking a year versus a month. Um, it, it, it's it's going to be close enough. For so the point is that you apply consistently. That's the, the correct. Correct. That Just like I would apply this, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily, you know, say December one is the date for this futures, even though this particular futures may, you know, may be still the the um, uh, the, uh, the spot month until into that month, because if you know, as I said earlier, um, if there's a lot of deliveries taking place, this won't roll to the next month until later. So I'm making some something wrong with it, Tom. And this goes back to high school where we had to check our work. If you don't do it on a daily basis, try it on a weekly basis. Say you've got two weeks, not 18 days. Okay, right. that's uh, 1/26th of a year, and so right. 0.55 times 26 isn't 28. It's 13 percent. Okay. You're right. I usually actually do this as I don't even use this as a 365 here. So, so actually, my own calculation is not even this this precise. It's working. I do it by month. Actually. Okay, okay. But, but that's figure just plain wrong. It should be 13 percent if you calculate it by weeks. But if you calculate by weeks, you're going to take this. You're going to have yeah, to you're round. Going, this you're number. going to take 26 times 0.555, which is about 14. That's double the amount for some reason. I don't know why, but you've just got that difference between doing it on a daily, analyzing on a daily rate or a weekly rate. That's just two weeks. Yeah, but you've got two weeks. Taking your 0.55 over. Two weeks plus four days. Two weeks won't be 0.555 anymore. Won't be eight. That's right. Well, surrogate is a rough check. Eighteen is about two weeks. Make it three weeks. Your number is going to. I think it's going to be off a couple of percent. It's not going to be off by half. Since intuitively, if you change ten dollars, in what this is two weeks of 700. How much? What is that percentage wise? And that's the other way to do it. And whether you multiply that by weeks or days. It's not going to make a difference. <coughs> oh, uh, 0 0.014. Right, but this is like someone said this is not going to be a So, in any case, this is the calculation. This is how it's done. Guess what? When I do this calculation using the Comex futures for the last two years, I come up very close to what the what the forward rate is at, at the LBMA. So, if I'm doing it wrong, they're doing it wrong. I, you know, I, I can't. And they run about the banks. What's that? You come up here. Come. This is blowback for telling them it was a test. This is a this is a rashy crowd. <laughs> exactly. But but okay, so so we could take that, you're right. I mean if we wanted to really, you know, do this to, to the absolute but the fact is is I actually use a monthly, okay? I put this as a fraction, I only use days, and I come up with typically a very small difference from the from the from the forward rate that gets published at the LBMA. And that's about thirty percent. 
No, because this does not exist. The seven and a seven ten does not exist. You would never see this. You would never be. Would never be this different. I should have probably used the real number. So I, I use a, a, a fake right here. Um, okay. So, but I want to use the same one that I used consistently yeah, yesterday, so that. Okay. <laughs> Do the calculation, please, first, and then write. You know, because I'm right. I've done it for two years. You haven't done it. <laughs> You've done it in your head. Had you done, had you done it last night, like last night? <laughs> What number did you come up with? Pretty close to that number, right? I didn't uh, do it that specifically. I just gave okay. you the, the formula. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so having done that, and that was very successful. Pull the camera. I I'm going to try to do um, a couple of charts here to try to demonstrate. Uh, You might use bimetallic arbitrage as a trading tool. Um, and what I'm going to do is the, this chart I'm drawing, I'm actually going to give to Philip. So when he emails people the PDF files or thereafter, you guys can also have this chart. So you know, just don't have to remember this kind of fuzzy thing that I'm going to draw up here. scale here, we have a scale of ratio here. By ratio I mean we take two values divided against each other. The um, green line represents the ratio between the price, the daily closing price of the silver ETF, whose symbol is SLD, and the gold ETF, whose symbol is GLD. And actually, so. So it's GLD divided by SLD. So <coughs> both are 100. Then this green line is around 1. Okay. Now, in order to get this number to 1, I have to divide 1 by by, by, by factor because actually 1 ounce, the, um, the SLD represents 1 ounce of silver. It's actually more like 10. And um, the um, and the GLD is one tenth. So I call that one tenth of one ounce. Right now, it'd be more like seven. So, so this would actually be seven. And you say, well, why do I have it at one? Because I've simply moved it down the chart so that it, it's. It's, it's consistent with this other line, which I'm going to explain in a second, okay? So you just subtract six. Okay, subtract six. I don't know the actual algorithm. I might have actually done it in a smarter way so that, because you might tell me when you subtract six and these numbers change, 
it's going to be off. So I didn't really subtract six. I probably did it correctly with math. But you can review it later if you want. This the the black line here is the uh, ratio between the gold forward rate and the silver forward rate. Okay, and these are the numbers that you get out of the uh, you get off the uh, LBMA website um, that I. <coughs> earlier uh, suggested that you go look at uh, <coughs> if you don't want to make these mistakes calculating the basis <laughs> or to check it because that's that's what I do almost every day um, and so if in fact let's use the number here familiar with four percent and both are four percent then you're at one okay the reason is that both are at, at near the same rate this line is going to be right around one if both of these are relatively at the, at the same constant rate, that should be right around one once I've made the adjustment. Um, so this interesting thing here is that this is just one snapshot of time. If you go back, there's other things happening. Sorry, go ahead. I just problem. ask, what's the uh, forward rate? Okay. The forward, forward rate, you know that calculation I just did a little while ago? That 28.97%? <laughs> yes. Okay. Cool. So this is, in fact, the contango. Um, the forward rate is, is, is a number that you can get from the LBMA website. It represents the amount of premium you would pay for uh, silver or gold that you sell in the future compared to selling it today. Isn't that okay. just the basis? In effect. Right. So it's I mean, they don't, it's not exactly, but, but, it's, but I come with usually within a few cents when I do this part. Other it's, basis calculation here. It's so the, it's their calculation of the basis. Would you say then? Yes, it's the LBMAs. And the reason that that I would want to use this is because this is a this is one we can agree upon. Meaning that we don't have to argue that you divide by weeks or months or that there's a daily compounding or whatever. Because however they compute it, it's there on the website and it's just a neutral way of doing it. So, but in any case, so what? But, um, there's an interesting pattern here that it's very clear when you get, when you get the <coughs> that there's a period in here when there's relative stability between both. Um, and which in effect meant that gold and silver as represented by the proxy with these ETFs. And the reason I use the ETF again is because it's very easy to get the closing daily closing prices of the ETF. There's no question about what type of gold it is. You get it from Kitco, you blah, blah, blah. That's just wherever you get that price from, it's going to be the same because it's, it's the closing price of those shares. Um, so you can see that during this period, and this is roughly seven, up to 7.30 here, you've had a relatively sort of stable uh, relationship between the two. Um, one way to interpret this and one way, the way I did it um, is that there's really not a lot of uh, advantage to buying gold or silver. Or another way to say it is that if you're buying gold and silver and you don't have a preference for one or the other, you might buy 50-50. Okay. Is there any? Is that no. No. Problem? Okay. <laughs> you might still see some little things in here, and if you were really adept at, you know, track the basis and looking at some smaller periods, you might have some trading or whatever opportunities in there, but. On a macro scale, um, that's 
it, it's pretty obvious to me. Then what started happening here, and this 730 points uh, is coincidental to the the top of the commodities market where the credit prices really started to um, become entrenched, uh, these two lines started diverging from each other. The, the green one uh, being the uh, ratio, the gold-silver ratio, meant that the price of gold um, was, in effect, appreciating against silver, although both were going down. Another way to say this is that gold was going down slower than silver was. Um, at the same time, this line here is the, um, the ratio between the, the, the two sets of bases, so that when it goes down this way, what it means is that the, um, gold, basis is going the gold basis is lower, or the gold is going toward backwardation, in effect, faster than silver is. And as we recall from earlier, what the professor was saying, that that as a bimetallic trade would, would say that you should be buying silver, okay? But if you, and just a long way to demonstrate this, but it's not just a signal that says, well, let's, let, let me try to time the market, and as soon as I see this start to go down, I'm gonna be buying you know, a bunch of silver. Because if you did that, you would have made a really big purchase of silver right here. You said, oh my God, this is a signal, gold, you know, I should be buying silver now, I'm going to buy a bunch of silver here. But as you can see from this chart, you know, you had a, a couple months, this bottom here is 1023, okay. almost three months during which gold continued to uh, relatively appreciate compared to silver, and gold continued to, to get further and further, uh, or closer and closer to backwardation in, in relation to what silver was doing. So, and I mentioned this a number of times uh, in the last few days. To me, this is a, uh, a signal that you're accumulating more and more silver. Okay, until you get a change in direction. Possibly. Now this, we don't know when this is gonna play out. We see this, and I'll talk about this in a second, going up this way, but it could very well come down and end up back here. But, this is all about probabilities. This sort of looks like a topping, a topping pattern here. Of course, you don't know until it's topped. But we do know that there's a trend in the ratio this way up to this point that it started to reverse. And if I'm trading this, and I didn't trade this myself this way, I, what I was doing is I was actually, I've been switching my options. I have options in various mature, there's uh, periods out. I've been getting out of gold options and, and, and increasing my exposure to silver options. Um, but if you're trading this as an accumulation strategy, what it would say is that as long as this pattern is, is, is consistent, you would buy more and more silver, or a greater and greater amount of silver in relation to gold. For example, if you're buying weekly, um, this maybe, um, represents the amount of silver that you're buying, you're, you're buying a greater and greater amount. Um, and then once you reach this point here, you should be prepared to reverse that strategy. And it could very well be that this, you know, sort of, who knows, this could drop down pretty quickly. I mean, silver could go to go two or three dollars, and this could completely reverse. But but the, but the indication here is that um, you've had this period here, 
where sort of you, you, you were able to be neutral, um, where someone might have said, oh, this is a great time to buy gold or this is a great time to buy silver, one or the other, it really didn't make a difference. Here it starts to make a difference, obviously, that you should be buying Where's silver. Where's the die on that chart, please, Tom? I'm sorry? Where's the die on that chart? Uh, today is right here. Okay. So we've had this, so we've had the gold sort of uh, go further and further into back, well, toward backwardation compared to silver. And then now there's a reversal, literally within, this is probably the last five or six days or seven days, where <coughs> silver's dropped from a rate of around 2% to almost zero. It's actually past gold, so it went beyond this one-to-one. -one, and now silver is actually closer to, um, to backwardation. Okay. So yes. can you give us a sense of the magnitude? You just got one there. What is that, two? Or close to two? Yeah. Or 1.8? Or what is it, 1.2? This top right here is like four. <clears throat> but, but, but because both gold and silver are pretty close to, they have a very small contango now. Since this is a ratio, you amplify <clears throat> any sort of move. And this is what I said earlier, that you can look at it in two different ways, because another way to do this exact same chart, and I have it at home, unfortunately I don't have it on my computer, but it's to subtract the two from each other. So this, so this black number might represent four minus four. One subtracted from the other, and then this would be a zero here and then it would just be the net difference between the two. You wouldn't see such a clear pattern from that. Um, and that's one, but, but you would probably see some other things that you don't see on this chart. So, and that's why I said that. I don't think you, 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 you have one signal. Even if you're just doing this, I think at a minimum you want to do, you want to do both of these charts. And on my website, I'm, I'm going to be doing both of these. Not just for this, but sort of all, you know, all the other basic compilations. Because you see a lot of different, uh, things that you miss on one chart, um, you, you don't see the same thing on the other chart. But the pattern on the, the, these trends on the other chart are much better than on this one. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that this, you know, it's time to now rush out and, you know, start buying gold. In fact, you know, silver is still at a pretty high ratio compared to gold now. So you may still be buying silver, but be prepared that this could, very, you know, pretty quickly change, regardless of what happens. Um, if this reversal comes up like this, and everyone in the world is saying, "Oh my gosh, let's you know, it's not to buy silver," and let's say the silver ratio goes, you know, it's, it's really dropping down into here, this green line. A lot of people might be saying, "Buy silver, buy silver, it's so cheap still," even though it might be 30, 40. This would be saying, "No, buy gold now." Okay, and that's I think a very powerful because it, it, it almost acts against the market, acting against the crowd, and you may not really know what's up without something like this. This is telling you what's up. What's really up? Any questions on this chart? Go ahead. Where you're accumulating more silver there, does that, that point cuts off at the 23rd of when the base is... Could you uh, repeat it aloud there? Just where you've, uh, where the uh, gold forward rate starts to kick up there, that's where you, right that's where you stop accumulating more silver than gold. <coughs> Not necessarily. It may just mean that you maintain this, whatever this percentage. Like, let's say here it's 50-50, and then you're here, like, you know, maybe 70-30, maybe you're 80-10, or 80-20. So bad with that. So maybe you just keep that 80-20, you know, going here until 
this this sort of thing is confirming. If this, now if, if we have this sort of you know come up, come up here and start doing this, um, you know that's one thing. If it drops back down here and then starts you know hanging on down here again. Um, so you don't you don't really this is dynamic. So you have to see what this chart does over time. But at this point, still, if I was to say what I do next. I still do. I would still do 80% silver, 20% gold. I just know that this is going to be switching pretty quickly. From a trading perspective, though, I, 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 I maybe sort of being maybe a little bit more risky or whatever. I'm already sort of saying that that from a speculative, you know, speculatively, I think there's something going on here. That's that's well, it's obviously different than what's being going on. It seems a pretty pretty strong signal that there's a reversal. And I've been in gold. I've been my you know my options have been in gold. I've done relatively well with that, obviously here, um, and I've been switching into silver here, anticipating that reversal. Any other questions? Okay. Um, what time do we have? So how long? We have uh, ten more ten minutes. Ten minutes. Let me demonstrate another sort of. Tool um, that the basis provides, and this one is uh, another chart. And I wish I could. I'm going to send you this one too, so uh, everyone here will be on this chart. But that, what I do here is I take the Kitco spot price, and they have these. They have these pretty big blow-up charts that you get on their site. They have the little ones that you see everywhere, but if you go on their site and you click on their, their chart page, you get this nice, pretty big chart. And it's like kind of black background. Okay. <coughs> and there's the, uh, let's actually do it with this. Hold on. Okay. Silver. So this is a silver price on... Spot price, Kitco. Here is the <coughs> the price of the S again the SLV that's the silver ETF. I've almost become obsessed with these ETFs in the last few months because I noticed something that a lot of people haven't, which is that these ETFs are, are creeping up in terms of dollar volume compared to the amount of trading that takes place on the COMEX and on the London market. And um, what that means to me is that these are becoming dominant trading tools, not just for 
small players, but large investors as well. Okay. And the interesting thing, though, about the silver ETF, just a couple of minutes on, on, on how it works, and the gold one as well, is that um, <coughs> it's not an active sort of fund. There's not a manager that out there that says, now's a good time to buy silver because it's cheap, or now's a good time to buy silver for this fund because it's trading below its, uh, its the value of its, you know, the silver that it has in the fund. This is what's called a passive ETF. And what that means is that it has um, authorized participants who are essentially market makers who are given the exclusive right to buy and sell shares of this ETF by delivering uh, bullion, silver or gold bullion, silver in this place, to the to the trust where this where the where the, um, uh, where the ETF silver is held. And specifically, to give you an example in this case, is that um, the ETF here is uh, clearly trading above the spot price of silver. So as an authorized participant, what this means that I could do is buy silver in the London market, physical silver, 1,000 ounce bars of silver, deliver it to the ETF, give it to the ETF, and this is all allocated bullion so you don't physically pick it up. You simply call up a, uh, a warehouse, buy the silver, and then you say, well, this is actually going over to the ETF. It's a, it's a very fast transaction. <coughs> and then when you bring it, when you uh, deliver it to the ETF, you get uh, uh, a certain number of shares. Okay. But what you get is, and So you buy silver at 1020 spot and you deliver it to the ETF and you get, uh, and this is, the, they're called baskets that you have to do in a certain quantities and it's 50,000 shares. So that's uh, 50,000 ounces at a time, okay? So you pay I'm not even going to try to do the math, although it's pretty easy because I'm sure what my son is with it. <laughs> oh, you're busy. Okay, all right. In that case, I'll let you do the math now. Um, and you get 50,000 shares. And then what the authorized participant does is that he or she will sell these ETF shares and try to get the 1040. Okay? So essentially, they're making 20 cents. They're buying silver for less and then effectively selling it once they get the, sh the cool shares for 1040. And what that tends to do, of course, is that it introduces new supply of shares and will attempt to close this gap off. It's called an arbitrage opportunity. And there are several authorized participants at any one time operating this market. So if one is asleep, there's another one that may say, well, this is pretty good. 20 cents times 50,000, $10,000 for making one phone call. Yeah, I was selling the 50,000 shares, you might have to have a, you know, a, a broker there for a few hours, you know, putting that in the market, but $10,000 for almost nothing. But 
this is all day long, the number of shares that are traded in the CTF may be 10 million, okay? So this is the arbitrage opportunity, and this is why you expect that the price of the ETF and the spot price in London are going to track very closely. And in fact, this might look like it's pretty close because this is a difference <coughs> about the day of roughly 10 or 20 cents, but it turns out that on a typical day for the last couple of years, almost every single day, the difference between these two are something on the order of one cent, two cents, three cents. So it might look down here. Just visually, it might look more like this. I've done this for many, many days, weeks, months, and this is what you usually get. On September 16th, this is what we had. So how is it that, what's going on? Maybe these authorized participants were just asleep that day? No, because actually for the four, four days previous to this, um, you had something similar to this, getting larger and larger. So. This is obviously a form of basis. It's a difference between two sets of prices, even though the SLV price isn't really a futures price. It is technically because it actually takes the authorized participants one day. So when you buy the silver, you don't actually get credit for the shares until the next morning. And I think this is where the key is to this. So there's a one-day lag, and that could sort of introduce maybe this type of thing. If the authorized participants are not are, are, are not able to buy, this is my theory, silver consistently because of maybe the amount of demand at that at, on the market at that point. And keep in mind, this is not just back and forth trading. When someone calls up to buy for the buy buy these buy buy the silver uh, for the fund, um, this is going into uh, you know into the ETFs holdings. And as we know over time, those holdings have just been increasing. So this is demand that essentially taking taking silver off the market. Um, it's a little bit different than most of the trading that happens in London and almost the Comax and everywhere else, which is you open a position in the morning, you close it at the end of the day. This is a position that essentially stays open at the end of the day. Um, but my my uh, closest I can get to sort of uh, understanding this is that in effect there was physical demand or supply that that was out of balance in, 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 in a bullish sense. Okay. Now, I don't know if there was a, a less supply or more demand. Clearly, though, there's something going on here because this is not normal. And it had gone on for three to four days. But then what happened, if I do this chart on the 17th and continue the price of SLV or the other one here, this. But as we got this, like this, okay. So at some point it caught up, clearly, right? So <coughs> Let's say this goes back a while, and okay? that's actually to say it was one day. To me, this looks like a trading opportunity. 
So if there's a signal that the basis provides that's a true trading signal, this is as close as I've seen it come. And intuitively, I think it would make sense. I don't think we need to go even too far. Like I said, I mean, this is clearly, there's more demand, spot demand. Um, and when the ETF is trading at these rates, the, the um, well, I think about So it's clearly more demand for the ETF, right? than the amount of silver that could be purchased on a spot market at the same time. Okay. What I would, again, I would say is that there's there's demand in the physical here, and that's why you're not able to buy enough silver to cover the ETF demand. Now, the interesting thing that happened here, if I got my uh, uh, dates right, is that AIG, I think, failed right around, I think it was the 17th or whatever. But at the same time that silver was doing this, it went up. Actually, the range that it was, I think, at the beginning of this day was like, 10, 20 or something. It literally went up like $2 and something that day, uh, the 17th. And silver or gold went up like $110. And you had pretty much exactly the same thing in gold. And it started a few days earlier, and then they announced AIG the next day, and then this whole thing was over. So, I mean, I'm not a big conspiracy theory person, but someone knew something about AIG and what it was going to do and what AIG had and what that was going to do to the price of gold and silver and they were buying, and I didn't see anyone else saying anything about this, so no one really knew, so they were buying surreptitiously. And by comparing these two sets of prices, and essentially as a basis, you should have been able to take advantage of this. Okay, I've, going back, I've seen three or four episodes that were similar to this, but not, but not, as, but not as significant. However, to me, this was clear enough that um, should have taken a larger position, but I did take somewhat of a position on this and, and ended up making a little bit of money. So this one's, I could say, is, is, is a basis indicator, a true price indicator where I've made money. Once at least, but you know, I've only been at this for a little while. Okay. <coughs> Any questions? Good. So um, as the price went up, the uh, deliverable, the spot price followed it and eventually the gap closed. Yeah. So it took a while. It took, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching this out a little bit, but, but as the price, eventually at this higher price, it did close. So as the ETF price rose, the supply of silver obviously rose, too, and as, it, as the gap closed, that or, or the amount of buying on the ETF fell off at the higher price. Right. I don't know which side it was. But there's a distinction here, right? I mean, if this, if this gap continued this way, Right, as opposed to coming together, I wouldn't have exited a position here. I would have waited until I got closed. So who knows where it would have stopped? 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Okay. It, it, it closed here, so obviously I stopped. But what I'm saying is that it's possible that, that, that the next time or another time you could have a similar type of setup, but it just doesn't close. So you keep on buying. Or you hold that position that you opened when you saw this gap open here. What does it indicate if it doesn't hold? Well, if it doesn't close, it means that someone else might answer that. The pattern will continue. The pattern up will continue until the gap does close. That's what I mean. Well, I'm not sure. I'm, I, I can't be certain that the pattern will continue. What I can be certain of is either that there is a, a more demand for the ETF or less supply in the spot market. Which will tend to increase the price. 
all other things being equal, no one else sort of being surreptitious. We are talking backwards. And we're talking a lot of different players doing a lot of different things in this market. But there's clearly one more, some big players in this market buying the ETF. It's going to be very interesting to see, because eventually uh, Silver will do another upling, you know, just from a pure Elliott wave perspective. It's going to be very interesting to see what it does on the next upling with Silver. Well, I track this, you know, pretty frequently. Um, I'm trying to actually use mentioned early e-signal, I'm trying to see if I can get, so I don't have to draw these charts, because these charts are actually pretty difficult to construct. I literally take the Kitco chart, I take a copy of a, a, the chart of the SLV, and then resize it, and then lay it on top of the other one. Some of you may have already seen it, and when, when, when I email it to everyone, you'll see that it's, it's a weird way to do it, but it's actually the least time consuming right now, but it's still about 20 to 30 minutes a day. Because you've got to, there's other things in there too, for example, you can't just put the two prices on top of each other because the ETF um, has a deduction over time for administrative fees. So for example, this the ETF price here, I said it was 1040, but really, um, let's say that's the amount of silver that's in the fund, 1040, but the ETF is trading at like 1025, okay, because it's had to sell. So, so the, another way to say it is this is not 50,000 ounces, okay, this is like, <coughs> they sell the silver seed to pay for storage fees. So over time, you're not getting 50,000 ounces here, you're getting 49, whatever, 370. Is that the right calculation? <laughs> that's not the calculation. <laughs> well, you should know. It's only been around for two years, it's half a percent per year. Oh, well, that's calculation. Okay. Sorry. It's probably actually not that far. Uh, so because it's a little bit, bit less, the, when you multiply the 1040 by this number, it ends up being, so I have to move the chart to get the two to be on an equal footing. So Nathan, oh, no. sorry. Who's, who's next? Uh, let's, let's let Nathan can, first. Can you just clarify your conclusion there? I thought you were saying that the, the trigger on that September 16th day was that you saw that the gap had closed, that the uh, ETF and the COMOX had come together. And that was sort of a signal that you expected the price to start rising for silver. But then you said, uh, if the gap hadn't closed as it rose higher, you would have not exited your position. Can you just clarify that again? You mean the gap may have reopened on the way up, but if the price was still moving up, you would have hung on? Or, or might have stayed open. The signal but, was at the opening up. The initial entry signal is the opening up. Oh, okay. The exit Correct. signal is the closing okay. back down. Okay, sorry. But, but in effect, what happened is that it didn't truly fully close down. It continued at a much smaller rate for a while, but then I started seeing the price just kind of vacillating, and then, of course, you know, it okay, came back sorry, down. Um, but this sort of works in the I mean, The other examples, actually, to be told, that I've seen this is where it's the opposite, where I actually sold. But meaning I didn't, you know, I didn't go net short, but I sold. Um, and then it, it did go down. And then the ETF dumped you know, 10 or 15 million ounces. I forget what it was within a couple of days of that. This is actually another way, a pretty dandy way of predicting whether the ETF is going to be adding silver or not. In this case, they didn't actually add that much. It's pretty clear. <laughs> they weren't buying it. They weren't closing the gap. But, but sometimes when this number is, when these two are, are closer consistently for three, four days, um, you'll see them they'll add three, five million ounces, I'm talking about the, the, the SLV, add three or four, five million ounces of silver um, within a week or two, which is a pretty pretty good clip. So um, in a sense, you know, when the gap opens up, it's backward, Sorry? 
in a sense, when the gap opens up, that's backwardation because the, the spot supply can't meet the demand. I can't say because you know this is interesting. That's all these more paper. But it's, it's the, the physical supply right. can't keep up with that demand, which is in the form of but, but But see, the demand is being driven by the paper. So it's, a, it's like a weird, like, one-off. How do you say that? Because ETF is physical. They actually put the money as in They do, but, but when someone buys the shares of the ETF, typically someone else just sells it to them. It's not the authorized participant that's bringing you silver into the market to create additional shares. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that, isn't that what the basis is? It's the, the physical demand present versus some piece of paper in the future? It is, but, you know, I would, I would tend to think that if we were in sort of this monetary crisis when everyone's scrambling after the physical, they won't be scrambling after the ETF, they'll be scrambling after the physical. So the ETF may trade at a discount maybe, but I could be wrong because look at uh, Central Fund of Canada trading at 10%. It seems like the more there's problems, the bigger you know premium they trade at, although I guess they're more... Yeah, What's that? Central funds and, and our fund, yeah. much, much clearer custodial arrangements from what I can see. True. Not, not mm -hmm. being a conspiracy theorist, but it's just a simpler chain True. of like no sub-custodians. Right, and it's possible too that because they represent a valid alternative to people buying physical bullion, because premiums on physical bullion might have gone up, they're willing to pay a higher premium on central fund. Um, but, I don't know. But it could also be, hey, I, people couldn't buy, you know, retail silver, you know, there's not any available, so they bought the next, next best thing. But that's, it still says the same thing. There's no physical available and they're buying, they're already past something else. You might expect. Now, this is just probability. Did I know that this was going to happen? No. But, you know, I'll probably say that every time this happens and it all goes down, like this, we can pretty much just abandon basis as a, uh, as a, as a uh, <laughs> indicator because, or no, or maybe we just go the other way. Say, yeah. no, we're totally wrong. You know, <laughs> it's all backwards. Let's treat it the other way. Um, I doubt it. So I'm going to go ahead. Tom, so SLV represents the future price one day ahead. Is that how? Is that how you? Yeah, in in a way, yes. So but but, but I'm not but I'm not saying that that's why there's this basis. But it may be explained part of the reason the reluctance for the authorized participants to essentially um, close this gap. But but let I me mean, think about it. If you have, if you have fifty thousand shares in a basket and you're on good you know first name terms with an authorized participant, you can ask nicely, and they'll turn in some some of these shares for silver for you. But it's going to take a day. So you don't have it today. So in a way, I guess it is a day off from having physical. I haven't really looked into the implication beyond that into this, but there could very well be an implication. Isn't the spot price itself like two days in the future? Like the no, no, no. This is this is um, Braun, you, you yeah, mind spot, the spot market was a two day settlement. Yeah, yeah. Spot that is in kind of but that's that's different. Man. It's spot is taken to be. Yeah. It's not real. That's not a. That's but not. Say that you're settling. I mean, ASX is three day settlement. Is that a futures market? Right. No. It's just yeah. that you know everything settles in three days. So. Yeah. So, but 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 with the same stuff, if you if you turn in the ETF, you're adding a day to it. So whatever you would settle at in the spot market, you're still adding a day to it. it seems to me, Tom, that that might not really be a basis. Uh, difference that you're identifying there. I think it's a very interesting difference, and I think it might, in fact, give you trading signals. But isn't that really just saying that um, at the price that the spot is, uh, there's more demand in the ETF than can be 
closed by people buying on the spot market, even to earn a fair arbitrage. And that isn't exactly the same as the basis. Correct. Yeah. It isn't exactly the same as the basis, but it's, it's a very similar concept. These are forms of silver in different locations, uh, trading on different markets. Um, and truly, that the, the basis, as we understand it, is a difference in time and place. This is a difference in, in less of a difference in time, but it's a difference in form also. Right. I'm using basis here in a more sort of you know, generic sense, but. Uh, this one, I don't know why, is, is, is you know is working pretty clearly. A break. Um, not maybe it won't in the future. Yeah. Maybe you know. <laughs> all you guys yeah. start seeing this next time. Oh, I want to say and then it closes. A okay. Of sentences but before, this is before this word is right now. But but you're right. It's a I would say it's a form of basis. I wouldn't call this the gold or silver basis. But it shows once you start because I didn't start doing this until very recently, and it was all about trying to compare different markets. But it, it definitely, I think it demonstrates, even if it's not classically the basis, that what you can start doing when you sort of open up a little bit and see how, this is how professional I think we could probably look at things too. I mean, this is really an arbitrage here. But this is something that we, you know, we can take advantage of as a price indicator. Sure. Not, not because we're gonna buy the spot and sell the ETF, but if this got wide enough, you might even be able to do that, you know, but I don't think it's going to widen up because why wouldn't the large bullion dealers close it before that? Well, I was going to say, I mean, we're assuming that the kick cash price represents the, the actual spot price. And as for my discussion with you yesterday, you know, it's, where does Kitco get this price from and how is it calculated? Right. But if this was only a point, a few points, but this is four days, you're not going to have four days of discrepancy. You might have an hour or two, yeah. and you might have a little bit, but this is a very clear. So, so if this can be this far off, then everyone that's trading off of a spot price for four days has is, 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 is got a bad price. So I see what you're saying, and, I, and, I, and, and, and I've seen it too. Kit, the Kitco price where it's like it's off, because I have a page where I have three different versions of spot price feeding. Sometimes they're off on gold like by $10. Yeah, it's just that I've heard that Kitco's used the Bloomberg data feed, and what they're, what they're feeding is the Bloomberg price. And whereas, you know, most well, people we know will use Reuters for their indication of where the wholesale market is. Right. So maybe the Bloomberg people who are feeding that data are right. not as um, not as many and therefore it's not as reliable, I don't know, but I'm not sure. Okay. To be watched and, and analyzed in the further. Right. Well, what I do know is that is what I do know is that typically it's, it's right on. Yeah. It's right on, and I know that the Kitco typically is right on with the with, with all the other prices. Yeah. Um, so, <coughs> okay. are we done? Yeah, we're done. Um, before we end the session, um, I want Marcus to say something. Then the professor. Thanks very much, Daryl. Um, just uh, following on from um, what Daryl mentioned uh, a little while ago about the uh, about uh, when money dies by. Ferguson, if there's anybody else, I've heard a, a couple of people uh, talk to me about it, and if there's anybody else here who's heard of this book, it's very regularly mentioned by Jim Poplava, and he, he tells everybody, we've all got to read this book. I have actually emailed him saying it's basically completely unobtainable, but uh, he, he keeps mentioning that it's something we should all read, but if there's anybody else here who is uh, aware of it, and, and like me has been unable to obtain it, but is interested in getting hold of it, if they, if they'd, um, if they come and see me afterwards, so I appreciate it. Thanks. When when was the book published? 1974. 74. All right. All right. <clears throat>
I want to take this opportunity at the end of uh, Tom's presentation to beg your indulgence for all the imperfections and uh, shortcomings uh, which we obviously have, and I include myself in this. But at least I hope you feel that you are compensated by the fact that that's the only place in the whole world where a discussion and study and research on the basis, on the gold and silver basis, is being carried on publicly. I'm not saying that other people are not doing this, but they will not share the information. We here are dedicated to the idea that whatever we find out, we are willing to share uh, with all the interesting parties. So I hope that you will excuse whatever imperfections we may have at this stage. We are working on eliminating them and uh, carrying the research to a higher level. So with this thought, I think. Yeah. 15-minute break. See you then. <laughs>